Today on Cyber Intrigue, we're privileged to feature Joshua Brown, an esteemed and accomplished security executive currently serving as the Chief Information Security Officer at H&R Block. With a career decorated by significant achievements and innovations in information security, Joshua has established himself as a luminary in the field. His diverse experience across multiple industries has honed his ability to craft and align security strategies seamlessly with business goals. At H&R Block, Joshua has adeptly navigated complex security landscapes, showcasing his prowess in integrating robust security protocols while advancing the company's overarching objectives. His strategic vision and leadership in information security make him an exciting guest for our discussion today. Hey, Joshua, can you share your journey towards becoming a chief information security officer? What key experiences or challenges have shaped your approach to security leadership? Yeah, Jeff, thanks for the question. I um, I came at this kind of a non-traditional way. Um, so I, I was in graduate school working on a PhD in philosophy uh, when I made the like the hard shift to to IT. Uh, and I started like so many people, you know, in my kind of era of IT did, I started on a help desk. Um, I worked at the Motley Fool in, in uh, Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia. It was like my first legit, you know, out of school job. And I had been a Mac guy for years and years, had, had never touched a PC. And they were they were almost entirely PC and they had a skills test, you know, to get the job. And so like I went to the you know, brick and mortar Barnes and Noble, bought the definitive Windows NT administrator guide, uh, read that sucker cover to cover over the weekend, went down and took the test and and got the job. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of what what started me on this path. And, and in, in that role, I sat really close to the security team and became friends with them and, and was just fascinated by it. Um, you know, as, as I moved on in my career, uh, different roles, different responsibilities, um, but I always kind of found time to carve out some time for uh, learning about security things to the point where, you know, when I got my first kind of non-startup big corporate job, um, they didn't have security roles. And two of the other, uh, you know, people at my level and I kind of divided it up and started doing it on our own, went to SANS, got some certifications, uh, started applying that stuff, you know, at work. Uh, and then I got my opportunity uh, to to build a security program for uh, for a company. It was a, a private managed service provider inside a big multinational, uh, and I just loved it every minute of it. Um, it you know the the uh, the amount of failure that happens um, is is pretty daunting when you're trying to build something from scratch and and change a culture. Really, I mean that's that's the hardest bit. Um, but I love it every bit of it. And when I got my current opportunity. Uh, to to come to H and R Block and and help the previous CISO restart the security program, um, I jumped at the opportunity, and um, you know here we are a couple years later. Uh, well, five years later, I guess now time kind of flies, but you know I've gone from a, a team of about twenty people where all of the services were outsourced to a team of about one hundred and forty um, that it does everything in house, uh, and uh, I just I couldn't be prouder of what we built um, and and what we continue to do. So what are your top priorities when developing and implementing a security strategy, especially in a large organization? Yeah, well, you know, I mentioned that the culture part is the hard part, right? Um, technology is relatively easy compared to the people aspect. Uh, and one of one of our mantras has been that we don't do security to people, we do security with people. Um, I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges that um, mature organizations that are trying to up their security game have is security pros too often don't have the kind of business acumen to understand what it is they're protecting, what it is that's actually important. 
you know, it's, it's the old saw about like the most secure computer is one that's encased in concrete, unplugged and you know, dumped in the Marianas Trench, right? But it's not usable at all. And there's always this balance, right, between usability and security. But if if you take the time to to really understand what makes the business tick, what's important to the stakeholders of the business, that's how you get the respect, the access, the seat at the table to help in decision making. And people figure out, hey, if I bring the security team to the table early in the in the process rather than later, we have better outcomes. It costs less money. People are less frustrated and we can actually enjoy the output of, of what's happening. So building those relationships, changing that cultural piece, I think is is the biggest uh, the biggest hurdle to overcome. And for me, it's also the most satisfying. In your perspective, what are currently the most significant cybersecurity threats, and how should organizations adapt to these evolving challenges? Yeah, um, the it's the the evergreen question, right? Um, because the game the game is constantly changing. Um, you know, if you if you go back uh, ten or fifteen years, right, it was all about um external protection right great next-gen firewalls and um super high levels of monitoring and keep the bad you know keep keep the the goths outside the gate um that's all shifted and, and of course covid had a massive uh effect on that you know as, as people became more remote work so the data follows people and now the data is remote as well um so, you know, you hear a lot about zero trust. Um, you hear a lot still about ransomware. Uh, and I think if you think about those two things and and where a Venn diagram of them would kind of overlap, um, it's that people are being targeted, right? And this is not this is not super new. This has been going on for a while, but it's going to continue to be, I think, the driving uh, the driving force in security because people are really hard to patch. Um, you know, security awareness programs are great. I think they're table stakes. Um, you know, you can crow about getting your your fish test results down to one percent, but the, the the fact of the matter is, you still only need one person to click the wrong thing that, that gets through. Um, you know, I, I I live and work in the Midwest, and and one of the one of the kind of challenges, cultural challenges we face is that um, people want to help. They want to be helpful and friendly, and the bad guys exploit that. And so when you're when you're battling your own culture that says, you know, hey, look, we're better together. Uh, we want to, you know, think outside your swim lane, be helpful, reach across the aisle, go more than 50 percent, like all of those old saws. Right. And they play right into the bad guy's hands. Um, a little part of me dies every time when I realize, like, I'm teaching people to be less friendly, less helpful, less trusting. Right. I want I need my users to be paranoid and, and send us everything and, and and be worried about that. I I don't want to create a culture of fear. I think a lot of times, you know, security is kind of rotated around that. Certainly the sales side of security products has rotated around that. You know, when, when the uh, Ukraine invasion happened, um, you know, within 24 hours, my inbox is full of all of these, these sales pitches about like, you know, we're seeing a huge uptick in Russian <laughs> you you know, activity, right? And like, I mean, come on, you know, there's, it, there's bigger things than that. So, you know, ransomware continues to be a problem. I think if you look at the, the cybersecurity insurance side, you're going to see a lot of, of the kind of the realization that we haven't gotten a financial model to figure out how to take that piece of risk and, and mitigate it in a way that makes financial sense. Um, you know, I think a lot about, you know, how security programs talk about their ROI to the business. And it's a really tough nut to crack because, you know, your, your chief financial officers are going to be asking like, okay, we're putting 20 million, 40 million, 50 million into this program. What do I get back out of that? What kind of guarantees you can give me? And the answer is none. 
um, which is a really bad place to be, right? Um, I think of risk mitigation uh, the same way I think about shaving, right? This isn't about risk removal. It's about risk reduction. Um, and so, you know, I, I will, <laughs> a joke I, I told to our CFO at one point, we were having a, a, a kind of contentious argument about, about funding for something was like, look, if you, um, if you, you know, you get your homeowner's insurance and you pay it for years and years and years, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, and your house never burns down, did you waste all that money? Like, no, you didn't. Now, it's not a great analogy as I've thought about it more because, you know, <laughs> we don't, insurance doesn't prevent a house from being burnt down, right? Just like cyber risk insurance doesn't prevent hackers from hacking you, they it provides relief if that happens. I would rather invest the money in risk mitigation rather than in in loss relief. Um, and you know it, it's a fine line there too, right? So, um, I think there's just there's a tremendous number of factors that are impacting the ability of security organizations to be successful, and um, some of them are on the external side, right? What the bad guys are throwing at us with ransomware and things like that. Um, also, a lot of it is realizing like we have all of these companies with legacy network designs that need to be re-engineered for the way people are actually working now and the way data flows. Um, you know, a lot of companies made this shift to the cloud. Most companies have made the shift to the cloud, but they haven't made that shift philosophically in terms of how they secure their networks. So there's a ton of work to be done out there. There's a lot of bright minds coming up with with great new ideas and ways to approach this. But I think ultimately, if you get back to the fundamentals, this is about uh, risk reduction. And to get to that, you know, to be effective at risk reduction, you have to really understand how your business operates and where the areas of risk are. What advice would you offer those aspiring to a career in security, particularly those interested in leadership roles? I mean, come join us. We have punch and pie. Um, it's, you know, I, sorry, that's, that was a, a little bit flippant, but I, I think, you know, there's, there's arguably a, a talent shortfall right now. Um, you know, you, you'll, you'll hear kind of the doom and gloom articles about, you know, 800,000 open positions in the U S three and a half million globally. And then you'll see another article from Forbes saying that's not the case. There's plenty of talent. And certainly if you look at the, at the job hiring boards, there are people that are saying, you know, I've applied for a thousand roles and I haven't gotten a single callback. So there's some sort of a disconnect here. Um, regardless of that, I believe that we ha always have to be thinking about the next, the next generation of talent. I think it's incumbent on current security leaders to train and mentor the next generation of talent. Um, what I've done at block is try to remove as many of the gatekeeping aspects to hiring as possible. So, uh, you know, a, a sizable proportion of my team, um, doesn't have infosec background or didn't when they came in. Uh, I've got, you know, ex-healthcare, ex-teachers, uh, moms re-entering the workforce, you know, second career folks, ex-military, ex-law enforcement. Um, finding the right functional niche that unlocks the superpowers that people have uh, is is the key, right? And what what I've found is that, you know, sometimes you have to move people around. I mean, InfoSec is is a mile wide. Unfortunately, it's also a mile deep, but, you know, there's so many options that, you know, you, you find somebody and they're not doing great at AppSec, but maybe they'll be great at GRC, or maybe they, they are super bored by GRC and they want to be a red teamer, but they don't have development background. Like, so you, you sit them with your AppSec team for a while and let them build those muscles. And then you move them over to the pen testing team. I mean, there's all sorts of ways you can, you can mentor and develop people to unlock their passion for the subject. Um, 
I've been shocked at like, you know, when I've, when I participated in, in events where we've done outreach and gone out to like local STEM high schools and talked to the students about cybersecurity as a career, most of them had no clue that this was even an option. And these are at STEM schools, right? Um, so, you know, I ultimately I'm looking for people that have the attitude and the aptitude to be successful. We can teach them that. What I can't teach people is how not to be garbage humans, right? So you want to find good people with the right attitude and then and then teach them. And you know, at at Block specifically, we we spend a lot of time working on succession planning and and development, talent development. And so for all of my key positions, you know, we're looking two to three to four years out in terms of training, mentoring, the business skills, as well as the technical skills, as well as the security skills. How do you think emerging technologies like Gen AI and machine learning are impacting the security field? Yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> there's obviously a lot of, of digital ink being spilled on this right now. Um, you know, I think the hype train is is off the tracks. Um, it's it's pretty crazy. I think back to the the days of like the early script kitties um, and and you would see these kind of broad based attacks that, that weren't particularly sophisticated, but they happened at scale because people who were smart enough to write the malware, write the scripts, write the bugs, made those things available. And then people who didn't have the technical aptitude to do those things were able to leverage them in attacks. It's it's a lot like, you know, I'd say the current iteration of that is like the malware as a service type campaigns that you can sure. you, you can run on the dark web. I think AI is going to do that that exact same thing, right? It's going to accelerate the ability of people who don't have the technical depth or understanding to to launch the types of attacks that they couldn't do before. Phishing is a great example. You can you can use Gen AI to create really sophisticated, uh, very difficult to detect phishing campaigns. Um, all that said, you know AI is a tool right now, and it's it's a capability, and it you know like most tools, it can be used for good or for evil. Um, we're using it in in you know tentative ways at this point to help make our analysts more effective so they can review way more signals to look for signs of fraud and and malicious activity um you know we can we can learn from past patterns of behavior more rapidly and and at block you know where we do um you know millions of tax returns every year it you would have to have a gigantic team of analysts pouring through everything constantly, right? It, it's just not, it's not effective. So AI is, is helping us be more effective with, uh, I, I, it's, it's making my level one SOC analyst into level two SOC analyst, right? There's, you know, that's, that's a way to look at it. It doesn't mean I don't need level one SOC analysts. I do. Um, but it's, it's a force multiplier for the good guys. Uh, unfortunately, it's a force multiplier for the bad guys too. Of course. So looking ahead, what major trends do you foresee in cybersecurity? And how should organizations prepare to address these future challenges? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, on the technical side, we're just starting to see what AI can do. So I think there's a there's a whole lot more to, to come on that. Um, I'm pretty pessimistic on the technology front in terms of like technology being able to solve all our problems. Um, you know, when I look at all the products and and there's great products and tools out there, and that's a necessary part. People tend to gravitate towards those because it's way easier to spend money on something than than it is to actually put uh, meaningful policy and process in place. Of course. But technology is just there to enforce policy. Uh, and so, you know, I think we have to get there's a little bit of a return to basics that has to happen. Um, I think politically, the challenge that's happening is 
you know, the the whoever your head of security is, they they likely own the largest risk to your business, which is data security. Um, but all too often, those people don't have a seat at the table. They sit underneath another C-level like the CIO or the CFO or chief legal. Um, and at the same time, we've got the regulatory frameworks, the legal frameworks that are that are putting more pressure on CISOs and CSOs, um, you know, around compliance and and uh, reporting and things like that. And so I think, you know, that tension between um, security, not not being an IT problem, but being a secu- being a business problem and having the right reporting lines is going to continue to, to challenge CISOs to be a, as effective as they need to be to support the business. I think we're seeing that change already. You know, just a few years ago, it was something like 75 or 80% of CISOs reported to the CIO or the CTO, whoever the, the head of technology was. Now we're seeing that shift. It's more reporting to the CEO or the board. Um, but on the technology front, the kind of risks we're seeing, threats, I mean, I think in some ways, the fact that we're seeing people be the most targeted source means that we've we've raised the bar enough on perimeter security, on you know container security, on endpoint security that it's easier to go after the carbon layer than it is you know the application layer. Um, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Like I said, people are hard to patch. Um, and so you know what we try to do, my team's philosophy has been, you know let's create a safe space for people to try dangerous things. We want people to have the maximum amount of freedom to experiment uh, experiment and innovate. So we want to, but we want to take the dangerous options off the table. So people that aren't deep in security don't inadvertently make a bad decision that that increases risk for the company. And I think if you think that way about it, uh, it requires you to deeply know your your company's uh, you know business model, deeply understand your infrastructure, and then make changes to help protect while also enabling the business to accelerate. I think that that that's the next generation of security leader in terms of thinking deeply about the business first. Joshua, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really great conversation. Hey, it's been my pleasure, Jeff. Thank you.